Welcome to the Foresight Church Podcast. Enjoy this week's sermon. For more information about us, go to foresightchurch.co.za. Hey, good morning, friends, and welcome to my favorite message of the year. I get so excited to be able to do the Easter service, although it's quite hard to prepare for, right? Because you kind of know what the content's going to be. Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to die. People are going to get saved today. What an exciting time. But I want to take you into an aspect of the crucifixion story that you may not yet have heard. An essential thing for you to understand. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that there was a time when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, into this world to rescue us from our sins. To live a life we could never live. To die a death in our place that we could never die. So that he could fully represent and fulfill the legal requirements of your law to bring us closer to you. I pray in Jesus' name this morning that by the Holy Spirit you would reach into every life, into every heart, into every ear that's listening. So that people this morning would be impacted by the power of the gospel which is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I pray this morning that people will come to know you and walk in the fullness of life that you've prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to welcome all those who are listening in. You may be a member of the church. You may be just a visitor to the church format this morning. Please enjoy this time with us as a church family. We're a loving, compassionate warm church family and we would love you to experience a bit of the warmth and the love of Jesus Christ in our midst this morning. The title of my message is for this reason I have come into this world. In John chapter 18 there's an account of how Jesus is brought before uh, Herod and he's brought, brought before Pilate and he's brought before uh, the Pharisees and the Jews for judgment. At this particular moment, where we pick up our story, in John chapter 18, Jesus is before Pilate. Pilate was the ruling commander of the Roman cohort that was inhabiting and occupying Jerusalem at the time. He was the legal authority, the highest legal authority. And he says to Jesus, are you a king? Jesus says, you say I am. But my kingdom is not of this world. But my kingdom is from heaven. You are a king then, says Pilate. Verse 37. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, and here's the key. For this reason, I was born. As a king, right? And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone, he says, on the side of truth listens to me. By implication, everyone against the truth won't listen because they're listening to their own stories. In this world at the moment, we have many, many stories that are made up, right? We don't know quite what to believe. There's so much spam going out on WhatsApp. And on all the forums, on the internet, you could find 
every opinion about this global pandemic you could imagine, from conspiracy theories to actual medical evidence to everybody's opinion about everything in between. Friends, let me tell you, Jesus came to testify to the truth. There is only one truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Anyone who comes to the Father must come through me. There's only one version of the truth. Pilate says to him, what is truth? That's where we are in the world. No one really knows what actual truth is. There are many versions of the truth. In fact, a court of law would not be able to ascertain what the truth is. There's so much legal jargon and, and so many legal parameters to be met before truth can be verified, in fact, as truth. Truth can be discredited by other people's testimonies. In fact, this is what happened. The Jews then gave Jesus a guilty verdict based on many people's lies and concocted imaginations about Jesus. You see, they said that Jesus committed a blasphemy by calling himself God or the Son of God, equating himself to God. That was blasphemous, when in fact he's the only one who can accurately represent God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus was God made flesh and walking among us, according to John chapter 1 as well. The first account of Jesus, of himself, I came to testify to the truth as a king. Jesus legitimately could lay claim to the truth. He spoke on behalf of his father God, represented only what God said. He said in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6, I speak only what I hear. I do only what I see my father doing. I represent him. I have come to fulfill his will and his will only. That is truth. To obey the will of God. To live according to the will of God. The second point, to seek and save the lost. Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus says about himself, The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. John chapter 3 verse 17, we know verse 16 very well, probably the best known scripture in the world, John 3 16. You can say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever might believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17 carries on to say this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. For this reason, Jesus came to save the world. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13 to 15. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 1 John 4, 9, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 1 John 4, 14, and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. The father sent his son to be the savior of the world. 
The second point, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Firstly, he came to represent and be the truth. Number two, he came to seek and save the lost. This morning, if you're feeling lost in some way, doubtful in some way, you don't know what the future is. You don't know what the roadmap of the future is. That means you're lost in some way. Jesus came to rescue you and give you an idea of a hope and a glorious future. The third point, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. This is one of my favorite points. 1 John 3, 8 says this, He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God came into this world is to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, talking about humans, he too shared in their humanity. Jesus was fully God, fully man. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus came categorically to destroy Satan and his works. Firstly, Jesus came to be the truth and to testify to the truth. Number two, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Number three, Jesus came to destroy the devil and the works of the devil. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says that the letter of accusation against us was nailed to the cross. Jesus became guilty that we could become innocent. He took our place. And having disarmed the powers and principalities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The fourth point. Satan came to kill and destroy, but Jesus came to give abundant life. John chapter 10 verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only into this world to lie, to kill and to destroy. Satan's only plan is destruction. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. This abundance, this means overflowing, progressively, exponentially growing, that your life may be more enhanced by Jesus. I want to open up a point on that. And this is my fifth point to make today. Jesus came to fulfill everything written about him in the law and the prophets. In Matthew 5 verse 17, Jesus says, Don't think that I've come into this world to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. What does that mean? Well, it's pretty simple. Until Jesus came, there were, was a legal requirement that sin needed to be atoned for by blood. The requirement was that everybody who sinned would die unless something died in their place. And so the Jewish ritual law required that at least once a year, a lamb had to be slaughtered 
in the temple to atone for the sins of the people who committed them as well as the sins of their family. This started off symbolically by the act of Passover when the Jews were released from the bondage of the Egyptians and the slavery of the Egyptians to be brought into their own promised land on the last night when they escaped the wrath of God where the firstborn sons of all of Egypt died, God said, slaughter a lamb in your place. Paint the blood of that lamb over the doorpost. Paint it over the doorpost. I believe in the sign of a cross. We're not sure. So that the angel of death will pass over that house. That's where the word Passover comes from. Something had to die. So that people could have life. And so once a year a lamb would be slaughtered. To fulfill the requirements of the law. But now friends. I don't know about you. But there are not enough lambs in the world. To be slaughtered to cover for my sins. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Says the Bible. But once a year. The blood of a lamb. And this is symbolic. Would be poured out on the altar in Jerusalem to compensate for sins committed. But here, here's another aspect. There are also sins omitted. So not everything we do is sinful necessarily or, or just when we break laws, that's sinful. But also when we neglect to fulfill laws, that's also considered sinful the good that we know and we don't do that is also considered sinful in, in other words it's not just sinful by stealing something or striking somebody or having bad motives sometimes it's sinful can be neglect to neglect our family to neglect our friends to to be engrossed in our own things that can be sinful too it's called the sin of omission we don't commit it but we omit to do the good we should do and maybe I'm more guilty there, where I am not able to always even be mindful of all the things that I can do to bless and to help and to give and to, and to make sure that others live on account of my life. And that is why sacrifice needed to be made. So Jesus says, I didn't come to take away the need for compensation. I didn't come... To remove. But I came. To fulfill. The high priest would take. The blood every year. On behalf of that family. And pour it out. The little lamb that would be raised in a house. Played with the kids. Would be brought to the altar. The high priest would slay it. Pour out its blood every year, year on year. So that the sins of that family could be committed. Jesus said, I didn't come to take away the requirement. He says, I've come to fulfill it. Now, let's break up the word fulfill. This is empty. He says, I came to fill it. To the full. I came to full 
to fill up the requirement to the full. Why? Because we never can. So Jesus said, I didn't come to take away the legal requirements. I came to close off the legal requirements. I came to fill, to fill it to the full. I came to fill the requirements to overflowing. I came so that there's no more requirements required of you. Why? Because you can't possibly meet them. Why? Because we're not holy. We're not blameless. We will always commit sin. There will always be things that we can't compensate for because we don't even know about them. There will be a, a requirement of, of God's love and His beauty that we could never live up to. And Jesus says, I came to complete that. I came to fulfill it. I came to fill it to overflowing. Today, many people still want to live as if they're required to fulfill the laws. They're always feeling guilty. That Jesus said, I have come to fulfill. I have come to fulfill what you could not fulfill. I have come to fulfill the legal requirements and the obligations of the law once and for all. Is it possible that it is once and for all? Is it possible that Jesus fulfilled the requirements once and for all? Read with me here in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 27. Unlike the other high priests, the high priests in the Old Testament, he does not need to offer sacrifices day by day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He, Jesus, sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law, the unfulfilled bucket that could never be saturated, the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. But the oath which comes after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. His sinless, spotless, blameless offering cleanses us once and for all. This means that you, my friend, your debt has been paid for. Your sins have been atoned for. That means at one Atone at one. We have been made at one with God. The sins that separate us, us from God have been atoned for, making us one with God once again. Ephesians chapter 1 says that that which was against us, he has cancelled, broken down the dividing wall and made us one with God. The two have become one. The joy of this celebration of this crucifixion Friday is I want to tell you your sins have been paid for once and for all by Jesus who took all sin of all time upon himself. How do we respond to that? If you hear this morning and you know in your heart 
that your life is not right with God, but you truly want that rescuing experience, that one truth that Jesus came for, the second truth we spoke about, that he came to seek and save the lost, then I want to encourage you to pray with me. I want to encourage you to celebrate the fact that someone died in your place, Jesus Christ, so that you could go free. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, you can pray aloud. Thank you that Jesus died in my place. Thank you that I can walk free, fully acquitted, because one who was innocent died in my place. He was punished for my sin so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. I pray right now that you would forgive me because I believe that Jesus died for me. Thank you right now that because of this, I can be called your son, your daughter. And that I can live with you for eternity. Please give me this abundant life for which Jesus died. I pray for healing on my body, healing on my soul and my emotions, and healing on my spirit, that I may live with you forever. Thank you that I am now your son, your child. Fill me with your spirit and give me that abundant life for which Jesus fully died to purchase for me. Amen. Friends, we're now going to partake in communion together. We're going to celebrate this life of Christ. So Jesus, before he was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, in fact, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat of this bread. This bread represents my body. It's not the actual body of Jesus, but it's a symbol of the life that comes by partaking in Jesus as much as it does in partaking in food. Let's share in the bread together. Jesus, thank you that your body was broken for me, that I may be made whole. Thank you that your body is broken so that we can all be made whole as believers around the planet today, representing the body of Christ, the picture of the church. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed with my blood. As often as you drink it, drink in remembrance of me. And friends, we proclaim the Lord's death every time we proclaim 
forgiveness of sins. Jesus dying in our place every time we drink together. And as we drink, think of that incredible debt that you could never pay that was full, filled to overflowing with the blood of Jesus. Let's drink together in celebration. Thank you for joining us this morning. We are praying for you. God bless you. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. We love you. We'll see you soon.